This show is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcast.com. Welcome to I Shouldn't Have to Say This, the podcast where we discuss topics we believe requires critical and nuanced thinking. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at saythiscast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at saythiscast and go to saythiscast.com if you want to hear previous episodes. Everybody knows a few bootlicking liberals. You know the type. The type that asked a cop for directions once and didn't get literally murdered and so now believes that the majority of cops are really just nice guys and that it's just a small minority that gives the cops bad name and there really isn't an institutional problem if you were to get rid of those bad cops. No new bad cops would be made. We all know these types. And it's probably why the phrase, I hate liberals, is so popular in the online left. I mean, let's just take a quick catalog of some of the most common insults that I've seen over the last little while on Twitter. You got your bootlicker, simp for landlords, cuck to the capitalist class. I mean, really creative insults. The, the list goes on into perpetuity, and so too do the admittedly dank memes. Whenever liberals mindlessly babble about their worldview in the line of sight of leftists, they get absolutely the fuck bodied. And far be it for me to say that they don't deserve this treatment. I mean, most of those insults are correct for your average liberal. Let it be known that it is the opinion of this podcast that no matter how good an individual member of a group of oppressors is, be it billionaires, landlords, cops, doesn't matter, how good one of those people are. It doesn't dismiss the actions as a group or the idea of the group existing at all. And it's pretty messed up to let the capitalist class, the ruling parties, piss down your back and then you turn around and say, no, no, it's, it's fine, it's, it was ju it's just rain. It, it's fine, in the process of being peed on. This being said, there's a lot of open hostility towards liberals. Maybe I shouldn't have to say this, but instead of treating these fools like our ultimate enemy on the left, why not treat these people like the victims of the system, the same system that we were born into, which attempts to brainwash us into believing that the things that are most harmful for us, the cops, the landlords, the billionaire class, a war on drugs and strong borders, are somehow necessary for our survival. Hello, party people, and welcome to I Shouldn't Have to Say This, the chaotic good podcast where me and my co-host genre talk about things and stuff in the political zeitgeist. But not most of it, because it's just what I want to talk about. <laughs> um, I'm Nicole. I'm I forgot genre. to say that. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, did. I'm not re-recording that. Yeah, we don't have to. Year two, let's go. <laughs> yep. Today, we're talking about political efficacy, and more specifically, about adjusting our attitudes as people who are a little bit further on the left, or a lot a bit, 
further on the left side of the uh, spectrum, politically speaking. One thing that I'm going to be talking about a lot is um, being on what I would call the bleeding edge of political thought. And what the bleeding edge of anything means, this is just like a general term, it means that you're so far on the cutting edge of new innovative modes of thought that um, it can blow back on you or certain things can't be fully thought out or there's more room for you to fail because you're not following the script that's already been laid out for you. Now, the secret here is that like nothing about socialism is new. Our Lord and Savior Karl Marx and Lenin also were right there, many scholars since and before. However, right now it's new to us, so we'll just stick with that term. So here's the basic thought. As leftists, we're often way ahead of liberals in our lives and definitely conservatives in terms of what we believe to be human rights, to be the objective truth of the world as we see it. We often hold values and opinions that diverge from the common wisdom, even when it comes to the groups we're advocating for. Something that I like to bring up a lot is the idea of unions. There are a lot of we are at a historic low in terms of unionization in the United States. The majority of workers don't really want to be in unions or are being systematically stomped out of it, but also they don't make it a priority in terms of what they ask for their representatives to do. It's just not something that's on their plate right now. But leftists tend to think it's pretty important for obvious reasons. But we diverge from the working class on that issue. But we diverge from the working class on the issue of unions. And this creates a dynamic where leftists, oftentimes people who are not doing as badly as the people that we're advocating for, um, believe that we know better than them or have some sort of intuitive information that they lack or that they're being tricked. And therefore, we don't respect their opinion. Another example of this is when more, most poor people in America, and probably globally, buy into the bootstrap model of success. If they just try enough or work hard enough or do XYZ, they can make it. Now, we as leftists know that this isn't necessarily the case. It can be, but it's probably not definitely the case. Also, most people don't really have a problem with renting houses. They, the thought that landlords shouldn't exist or that housing shouldn't be sold to people isn't a thought that's ever occurred to them because they've never been told it. And when they've told it, they believe that it was commie nonsense and they ignored it. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we're wrong, but that also doesn't mean that they're stupid for believing that. They're in their own paradigm. And we think they're wrong for it, and they don't think that they're wrong. As purported advocates of these marginalized communities and the working class, this puts us in kind of like a weird situation, you know? It's of vital importance to building a leftist movement that we navigate this situation in a way that builds trust between these communities that we believe that we're protecting. In other words, 
rather than, Oh, you boot-looking chud. Oh, you think the landlord should exist? Oh, yeah, you fucking moron. How dare you? You think that you should be cucked to a fucking landlord? Huh, huh, housing should be free, you motherfucker. You wanna, you wanna work for a landlord? Blah, blah, blah. That would probably be the wrong way to deal with somebody who thinks that their landlord is fine and they have a decent relationship with their landlord. I don't really see why you're saying that landlords shouldn't exist. Jesus. <laughs> Listen, I, that, that was a very specific line of thought because, like, go on Twitter right now and look up the word landlord. Guarantee it. Oh, God. No, like, no, no, no. I'm just, I, it's, that was accurate as shit. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's because these people's brain, like, the... NPC dialogue tree thing is like a right wing meme, but mm -hmm. unironically, there are some political actors who really do go down like a dialogue tree. Oh, totally. They'll say something and you're like, wow, I can see all 20 steps that you're about to take right before you take them. And then you'll say what steps you think that they're going to take and they'll say, I'm not going to do that. And then like, you're like, okay, they go totally ahead. And do. then they do it. <laughs> yeah. I was in discussion like in its discord and... It was about Biden, and we're going to probably get to him. But I said, like, liberals are ineffectual. And these two people just went off about socialism and how libs were vitally dangerous. And I and I just, like, stepped out of the conversation, and they just kept going. Like some sort of weird self-propelled machine. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to nope out of this right now. Yeah, it's almost like they got their ideas from somebody else. But that's another episode. What? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, that's another episode. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> so, anyways, that would be the condescending infantilization bullshit. The super confrontational attitude. That would be the wrong way to treat the working class who doesn't agree with you on your perception of the world. Seriously. It's important not to infantilize them or to dismiss their decisions about their personal life or the decisions for their society. Even if it's motivated in large part due to misinformation. That's in misinformation they believe is correct. The working class isn't stupid. That's something really important to socialism now, isn't it? If we believe that the working class is stupid, then there's definitely no point in giving the working man the control of the means of production now, is there? <laughs> so that's not a bullet you want to fucking bite as a socialist. I just, just saying. <laughs> it's that they have, they are misinformed or they have different fucking priorities. If you're struggling to put food on the table, it is a difficult sell to say that the entire society should have to change fundamentally in order to provide you more. Because even if that risk pays off, they're never hungry ever again. They don't know that that's going to work out. They've seen other places try and switch their political system and fail miserably. And to their credit, the majority of places that try revolution do in fact fail. Or if they don't fail, the suffering is so intense of the generation that tries it that nobody rational in a reasonably stable society would want to do that. So as long as poor people are enjoying a certain level of comfort. I'd say stability. It's like stability. People yeah. value stability. There's nothing stupid about that. It makes sense. I value stability. I'm betting that most of the people here probably value some stability in their lives now we can make all these arguments that in the socialist end state or the communist end state 
that there would be more stability and more prosperity, but it's a difficult sell when the uh, interim is so bloody and instable. So, anyways, my point is, as advocates of the working class, we need to make a concerted effort to believe in the convictions of the working class and where necessary and where available, try and steer them towards a better conclusion. But also, and this is the most important thing I'm going to say, we need to support them on some, if not all, of their convictions, generally speaking, politically speaking. Mm. So I'm going to restate this because I have it in my um, uh, notes, but often I'm struck by how adversarial leftists are to people who are not similarly positioned politically to them. Like, not just conservatives, I see less outward hostility toward conservatives than I do towards liberals, and I'm often really surprised by that. For instance, there's open hostility towards voters who went for Biden out of some perceived sense of electability. But the fact of the matter is that people didn't want motherfucking Trump because they believed that Trump was the root of all evil and that all of their economic woes were due to Trump. We failed to convince them of that. True. They were worried that Bernie couldn't win. They didn't want to take it. They didn't want to take a shot in the dark. Second of all, there was a lot of discourse about the um, passing of Chadwick Boseman and about whether or not he could have come out about his sickness or would it have been appropriate or was he brave or not for coming out about his sickness. And I saw a lot of people who were. Um, in the disabled communities who were like having their discussion about this and there were probably just as many disabled people if not more so who were saying i do think that he was brave for working through his fucking cancer and people were saying well he shouldn't have had to be brave he shouldn't have had to hide it oh my god um and they were like shouting them down because of like ultimately somebody with a disability should be able to work if they have the ability to work and you shouldn't stunt their professional aspirations because they're disabled but at the same time it's a complicated issue, of course, but people were being so disrespectful to, like, the common wisdom about the issue. If you've been educated in disability activism, which I admit is kind of an area where, like, I try to, my best to learn more, but honestly, I'm not there yet, probably. But there are so many people who believe in kind of the old wisdom about bravery and inspiration and such, and I sometimes don't feel like being super adversarial towards those people, especially if they themselves are disabled, is probably the right thing to do. Just say It's not. Yeah. It's, it's not. <laughs> it's Just, not. Again, it's the common wisdom. They're not saying something that nobody disagrees with outside of the very specific circles in which everybody agrees that disabled people should do whatever the fuck they want and are able to do and that we should support them. It's It's a common narrative. That has to be dismantled. We can't just kind of yell at people and expect them to completely change their way of viewing things. And for both of these things, Biden and for Chadwick Boseman, I don't want to shy away from the fact that both of these narratives that libs and normies spread are pretty fucking harmful in ways that we all know they are. It makes a horrible world that disabled people have to live in the way that they do. Or have to make all these allowances to make the people who are able-bodied in their lives feel like they're not pushing them or not involving them or not making their um, sets like disability accessible. 
I mean, there, these are harmful. These are harmful paradigms, and yet there's no shifting them by just being straight out adversarial and acting like the people who think this are insane. Because again, these are the majority of people. The term is normie because they are normal. <laughs> they are the majority. It is the common wisdom. You are diverging from the common wisdom. It is the onus is on us as socialists and as left-leaning people to convince people who have the common wisdom that they are incorrect. It's not theirs to just kind of shift because we present an idea and they don't believe us. It's a, that, that would be a ridiculous way to process new information. Episode to come soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to break here. We're throwing around some wordage that maybe people don't know. So in the political spectrum, from left to right, we have leftists, progressives, liberals, normies, conservatives, alt-right, Nazis. It, would you agree with that? Yeah, sort of. I think there's some overlap in those. Um, but generally, when I say leftists and, and socialists, I mean people who are economically aligned around like socialist principles, which would be the workers own the means of production. And I'm kind of saying leftist rather than socialist in most situations because I also mean people who aren't necessarily socialist but are also like hyper progressive. So like social democrats. Mm -hmm. So mainly I'm talking to social democrats and socialists and communists. So leftist is mostly just people that either ascribe to socialist belief or are allied to that. Yeah, pretty much. Liberal would be someone on the left that still ascribes to a capitalist system. And values institutions that have existed. Yes. Obama would be a liberal because he believes in capitalism, and he also respects the institutions of the United States and feels like there's nothing wrong with them, and that they will work the way that they're supposed to all the time, and that there's no threat from the right. Because the institutions aren't <laughs> broken. Right. Well, they're not. They're just shitty. <laughs> they're working as intended. We all know They've this. kind of broken. <laughs> they're, they're broken. They've actually broken. Like, even within, like, the liberal paradigm that we followed for, like, a century, they're broken. But that's, mm. again, another, another episode, episode that I'm not going to write because I don't want to talk about that. Again, this is the me show. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So, yeah, so we have the, so we've defined that stuff. I just want to make sure that anybody that doesn't get it gets it. So let's move on. Yeah. All right. So the last question I got here is how should we play this paradigm correctly? It's my feeling and the feelings of socialist theorists such as Lenin, and Daddy Chomsky, and <laughs> you know, just think of your favorite, and and they think this most likely that when we're not able to push socialist candidates in a way that pushes us forwards, when it's not productive for us to do so, or when we're against literal fascists, that we should fall in line and support the liberal candidate. In other words, we should work with the people who align the most with our principles, also liberals, because, you know, let me, I'll get there in a second. We need to back up the working class on their uh, beliefs more often. I think a lot of working class people believe that the, that the left is their enemy more than they think the right is their enemy, because the right will signal towards 
the common wisdom that they believe is correct, even if they don't believe that. And even if they don't follow those principles, the, the right is much better at virtue signaling towards kind of the common wisdom. The left is really not. And that makes a lot of normies think that the left is the enemy, even though we're not. What that means is, if they want Biden, sitting home and not voting probably isn't the right thing to do. It's probably to say like, hey, we're here for you. We don't agree with him and we didn't like this, but we're going to collaborate with you. Next time, God forbidding the opponent is not a fascist, you cannot count on us. We will not vote for you again if it is not life and death. However, we're here with you for now because we support your interests in this situation. If they believe that Chadwick Boseman is a brave dude for working through cancer, you can say, like, yeah, you know, it, it was pretty brave. Like, that does take a level of bravery. Now, I don't really think that, I also feel like it's possible that maybe he thought that he had to do that or else he would have suffered uh, professional repercussions. Isn't that shitty if you're able to work and, like, be productive in society? That if you just came out with your diagnosis for a disability or a chronic illness, that you wouldn't be able to do the work that you were able to do? Let's imagine if Black Panther didn't exist because Hollywood shut out this man because he was sick. That would have really sucked for all of us. There's no need to jump down people's throats. You can make a very logical and emotional argument for your position while also saying, yeah, he was pretty brave. You don't have to put all sorts of, of like, here's what really bothered me about that small, small departure. We don't know what Chadwick Boseman was thinking. There's no indication. So it could be literally anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was his choice. And also, since it is the it, since it's the fucking normie narrative that it would be brave, I'm pretty sure it does. It does actually objectively take bravery to work through a chronic illness while keeping it completely secret and never telling anybody. In all of the hundreds of thousands of interviews you did over a period of of like four years, Jesus Christ. the The question about if that's correct is a completely is is a fucking aside. Anyways, anyways. We can support them on that. And finally, we have to stop infantilizing people who adhere to the common wisdom. Yeah, we don't believe that it's cool to like Elon fucking Musk. But normies think that Elon Musk is pretty fucking cool because they believe that he's a big brain boy who came up with everything that Tesla ever did. Now, we know that that's not true. It was no. probably, it was like, actually not probably, it was definitely the workers that came up with at least some of the shit. He didn't even found the company. He didn't find the fucking company. <laughs> Elon Musk was kind of just like a figurehead. Yeah. But my point is this. We need to back people up more and we need to be less dismissive of the concerns of people who don't have the same priorities of us. Because we are, in fact, and this may surprise some of you, the minority in this country. A deep, deep minority. There might be less of us than there are Nazis. So we need to be less fucking hostile or else we surrender all of our political power to people who frankly don't give a fuck about socialism. 
So we need to put ourselves in a position where we can most effectively capitalize on our power. And I know that a lot of people have decided that it's cool to shit on AOC because she's been trying to collaborate with liberals in Congress, but that's how you get shit done. Bernard Sanders, also our zaddy in which we praise 2020, blaze it, other things, also represents this idea. That's it. The episode is over. All right, so for people that are just joining us in year two, every episode we try to talk about something that is making us happy, allowing us to enjoy life, even though we keep talking about things that piss us off. So, Nicole, what is making you happy this episode or this week or whatever? Okay. So it wasn't this week, but you don't but you don't know this, people who are listening <laughs> to the podcast. Because we didn't record anything in August, but during the month of August, a very important and special game called Spirit Fair came out. It is what is described as a cozy management game about dying. Okay. In this game, you play a character who finds uh, spirits who used to be humans who died in various uh, scenarios, who have various things that they have on their chest or things that are weighing on them that they have to get out of the way. And when they're finally at peace with themselves, you take them to what's called the Everdor, which I believe is Norse mythology, and then they cross on to the other side. It's a really beautiful game. Wow. So... One of my favorite genres of a video game is like the management sim type farm simulator type thing. And that's what this game is. But I think it's probably maybe the best one that I've played in a long time, if not ever. And the reason for that is because the gameplay is just everything that I've ever wanted from one of these types of games. So you have to collect materials like in any like stardew valley harvest moon uh story of seasons type deal but like every time you collect a material there's a little uh mini game that you have to play and they differ for different types of material gathering there are all sorts of mini games and, and like you have to like saw a bridge or saw wood and you kind of like make the controller work like a uh like a saw blade and it's just it works really well at keeping the gameplay loop a bit more interesting than these games tend to be the characters are really engaging and beautiful. The the fucking bitch, the, the visuals. Mm. This is one of the most beautiful games I've ever played in my entire life. The art direction is absolutely stunning. Undefeated. Thunder Lotus does a lot of really beautiful games. And I have never actually like played one of their games to completion because Jotun and Sundered are both in like... Oh, that's by them? Yeah, their Ooh. art direction is fucking beautiful. Oh it's, my god! It yeah, riv- it rivals Super Giant Games, um, in yeah, some it really respects. Does. But Jotun and Sundered like weren't really my cup of tea in terms of like game style. But I could always appreciate the art style. And like finally, they came out with a game that's just like for me. And it also has that feeling of like the Wind Waker because you're kind of traveling around in this boat that you build up over time with various spirits, building houses and building uh, farms and all sorts of stuff so you can get materials. And everything you do builds towards that sense of progression. And then 
the game ends. That's really important to me. In a lot of these farming simulators, you reach a point where you've seen every single bit of dialogue that there is in the game, and things start repeating, and the same festivals happen every year, and you run out of crops to start growing, or you figure out what are the best crops to grow, and so why would you grow anything else? And you have all of your cows or whatever, and sometimes they die, but you really don't have a reason to buy another. You're rich, and it doesn't fucking matter anymore. And you kind of peter off of the game because you're just kind of bored. You're done with it. You yeah. decide when you're done with it. Spiritfarer doesn't really give you that opportunity. It says, oh, you've helped all the spirits go away. So, you're, so your game is, uh, y- you're done. And then it ends. Um, and that just... It uh, solidified a feeling in me that the genre of like the life sim type of thing is best when you kind of follow some a story through to its conclusion, which sucks because as a kid, I remember being really interested in playing like 15 to 20 fucking years of like the same goddamn farm. But like as I get older, I have no interest like the um, I think I might have talked about this on the podcast earlier, but they did a remake of uh, the story of uh, Friends of Mineraltown, which is a Harvest Moon game, now it's Story of Seasons. Yeah. Um, that game never ends, and also there were like, I swear to fucking God, about five original voice lines, or not voice oh, lines, because there's no geez. voice acting, but five unique lines for characters in various, like, life states so every day i play that game i have to talk to my goddamn fucking wife and ellie says the same goddamn fucking thing and then my child goes got in the same exact fucking way that they always did and always will because they'll never go beyond being a literal fucking baby who crawls on the ground stinks their baby bitch diaper like it's not interesting to play over and over again into perpetuity nicole just eventually you just say i'm gonna go out for cigarettes yeah, so I go out for fucking cigarettes. The same thing that happened in back. Animal Crossing. Like everybody's, everybody who plays Animal Crossing, their experience ends with closing their with closing their game and not going back to the village. Yeah, and for some, and sometimes that's beautiful because you can always go back to it. But I can always go back to Spirit Fair. I can start another game. Um, but I'll never get tired of it because it told me when to fuck when the fuck to leave. <laughs> and I did, and it ended, and it felt really good. And I feel like I had a really satisfying experience. It's like my perfect 10 of the year, I think. That's excellent. And also, they had some stuff that was criticized as being ableist in the narrative. Oh. And the creators said, we saw that criticism, we assessed it for ourselves, and we agreed, and so we're going to go back and fix it. And so I don't know if that's going to get fixed at the time of this recording, but I think that that represents a pretty good moral center and also represents like the high level of um, creative intention that I expect from the guys that made this game. Because it really is very fucking special. (laughs) Can't say it enough. That's really, really great. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Anyways. They make a lot of good games. Um, what's what's making you happy so um well i just want to say like the one one thing i really like there are games that are that can keep going you know like i i am big into destiny 2 and that will never end until like they just say now we're done and even that (laughs) after that people will just keep playing but games that end can be really 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 great uh one of my favorite games is uh 
Ori in the Blind Forest. And that is a depressing game. So in in a lot of places, and I you, played what literally two seconds of that game, and I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and sometime I can tell you like the whole story about like why that's my favorite game, but it's just really beautiful. Like the art style is amazing, and the uh, and like when you were talking about how the how it's about like collecting souls and how and people are dead and stuff, but that's but it can be fun. Like people don't realize that having an emotional center to a game is important and it doesn't have to be always be like happy bouncy super mario like colorful it can be kind of dark if you want it to be and still be it still be really good so i i was just thinking about that when you were talking yeah. about that it sounds really great yeah also one really quick thing mm. it's um it's a it's an uplifting story about death it's not really like a sad one like everybody's lived their life and died and yeah. you don't and you don't have to see any of that you're just helping them find peace so yeah that's the thing like you're helping them just be one with the world like you're just being you're just a good person you help, trying yeah, to you help, help them return to the stars so it's That's, not like oh. it's not a depressing game oh <laughs> yeah it's, no, it's I, kind I of sweet say depressing i should say melancholy yeah it's a it's definitely that yeah <laughs> so my thing is actually a game that i just got it's by Remedy Entertainment and they have made uh they they made another series that I really love, Max Payne. Um <laughs> yeah, I know, old school. But <laughs> Max Payne is uh uh like this crime noir thing. Uh it it's really really great. The dialogue is over the top like it is specifically like a noir like in the rain just felt like like nails on my face and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's just hilarious but they made a new game called control last year um but they they have a a deal with epic to release it on their platform first so obviously i waited until now when it was released on steam side note uh, like a ton, a ton of the reviews on Steam are. I'm glad I waited till this was off ep Epic. Fuck Epic. This is <laughs> a good game. <laughs> but wow. it's um, it's it basically it is a it's a it's a third person action game. Um, has some Metroidvania elements, but it's like a a a, a good creepy episode of the X Files. It's it's like weird and the imagery is just kind of off because it's in this like weird nexus between um, fantasy and reality. And it has like all these physics bending powers. It's really Remedy always has some weird shit going on. They made uh, Max Payne, which introduced um, like basically bullet time into into video games like they they did it basically first they did alan wake uh which was another like creepy weird game they did quantum break which that has to do with like time travel and everything and then they made this and they're trying to connect all of these games to get not not max Payne, but the other ones all together it's just this really like the themes and the uh, the art style and uh, the storyline are just really, really great. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. So 
It is. And so are, is yours on Steam as well? Yeah. So we'll, we'll link to those, to those two games. Um, and so it, everybody can, can check them out. But yeah, um, look for games by Remedy Entertainment. Just off kilter. <laughs> also, I forgot to mention the, the soundtrack in Spirit Fair. Absolutely. It does not slap because it is not that type of game. But holy shit. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I gotta, oh, so now good. I gotta search that out. I love game music. Anyway. <clears throat> I have it. I'll send it to you. <laughs> oh, killer. Yes. Ah, uh, there it is again. Sit killer. All right. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for, for listening. We are starting off year two with a bang. Really enjoyed this and stay tuned for more awesome episodes to come. Speaking of which, we are moving our schedule. Usually our shows came out on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, but we are going to go into an every other week schedule. So this week, off next week, then back on the week after. But if you want to support the show, we would love that. <laughs> you can go to coffee, um, ko-fi.com slash say this cast or patreon.com slash say this cast. Uh, if you become a patron, you'll be able to hear the episode early. You'll be able to contribute ideas to the episode, uh, to the, to the show. And, uh, when we get some patrons, we're going to start making a new, like new mini podcasts about stuff so uh for patrons only so patreon.com slash say this cast if you have any thoughts or opinions or suggestions or anything you can email us save this cast at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter that is at say this cast you dm us on there and nicole where can we find you on twitter you can find me on twitter at jack of three trades and that's three as in the number you can find me at uh, press start lock on there and you can also go to twitch on on twitch tv.com slash press start more lock and uh, Tuesday at 10 and Fridays at 3 <laughs> we do a political chat uh, so if you'd like to talk about stuff live and ask questions I love um, interviewing interviewing with the chat so uh, that is a good amount of fun remember so sometimes there out. yeah which is always great. Only so rarely, though. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Listen, every time I'm busy. Every single time. God <laughs> We still need to record another episode on stream, like live on stream. Oh, yeah. We could do the leftist grifter one, because I want to oh. yell at... Because I also want to piss off chat so I can yell at them. Excellent. I love it. Okay, so we're going to have an episode about leftist grifters and we're going to record it live on Twitch where the leftist grifters live. So um, <laughs> all of the music you hear on, I should have to say this, is by Mustin. Uh, if you want to hear more, then you can go to store.mustinenterprises.com. That is M-U-S-T-I-N. Uh, and I should have to say this is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to Planetside Podcast. Also, thanks to the person who donated on coffee. I know who uh, you are, but I'm not going to say your name. <laughs> we did get a donation on coffee. They said that this podcast is that Gordon Ramsay finally got some good fucking food. Gif.
this is actually our second donation from coffee uh first one was an incredibly generous uh donation from uh another listener and we appreciate both of you very very much so thank you so much hey oh hey oh <laughs> okay 